Big Finish presents Doctor Who, Short Trips, Death Will Not Part Us by Alfie Shaw, read by Adele Anderson. It is the 14th of August, 3097, and all is peaceful on the world of Guernica. It is the 14th of August, 3097, and Guernica screams in terror, caught up in a war beyond its comprehension. It is the 14th of August, 3097, and Guernica has never existed. Each of these is the indisputable truth. Yet the woman who sat on the steps of Unity Hall would never know of that undisturbed day. Time had been rewritten. For now and forevermore, a month after her wedding, someone destroyed her world. She often thought of that first, last day. She had to, in order to load her weapon, but tried to never linger on its events. Not on when the wheezing harbinger materialized above Unity Hall, nor on when the sky splintered and the people became bodies and the bodies became dust. Not even on when she picked up the rifle that fell from broken heavens. She first fired out of desperation, in defense of a world she knew was already dead. Later, it devolved into a frustrating necessity. Eventually, she learned to hit the harbinger, although it made no difference beyond a short-lived period of satisfaction. She was always ready to be rid of these final hours, but they were never enough. She had to give more to the weapon, or else it wouldn't fire, and she would die along with her world. It needed the preceding days, the blissful weeks she had spent married to Sam Wintersmith. It was only the knowledge that she would see her family again that clawed that month away from her and into the weapon. But there was always one day that made her pause. The final one she needed to feed into the weapon to arm it. The day she became Mrs. Viola Wintersmith. The church was full. Every pew, bookended with pastel pink roses, was crammed with people. The short walk from the church door to the altar felt like passing through a retrospective of her life. Hannah and Evangeline, fellow survivors of St. Hilda's School for Girls. Charlie, Jack, Simone and the small gaggle of university friends who had cajoled both Sam and her to act upon their mutual attraction. The other barristers from her chambers, interspersed among myriad extended family members, friends, partners and other well-wishers. Each a tile in the mosaic of her life that led to this moment. She and her father stopped before the altar, which was flanked by groomsmen and bridesmaids. Her sister Olivia, Olivia's girlfriend Lily, their daughter Sabine, all in uniform pink dresses. In the front row, her mother shot Sam's parents a satisfied smile. And there, stood next to the elderly priest, was Sam. His usually unruly hair had been wrestled under control, and he beamed at her. She returned in kind. Hymns were sung, vows and rings exchanged. The church filled with cheers, applause, and several excited whoops as Sam and Viola ended their first kiss as husband and wife. They held each other close, neither able nor willing to control their smiles. After the ceremony came the reception. More of their friends arrived, more happy fragments of their lives coalescing into a single celebration. 
The music played, the drinks flowed, and the best man's speech was just on the right side of embarrassing. The reception was followed by the honeymoon, which in turn was followed by domestic bliss. And then, by death. It was always that last thought that judded her back into the moment. She kept loading her wedding day into the weapon, compressing that last month into a bullet of concentrated time. When she fired, she was ripped back to the evening before her big day, and so she would live it all over again. Not once did she consider not firing. She couldn't let them go. After her third wedding, she tried to warn the congregation of what was coming, to take them off-world. After her sixth, she abandoned the reception and marched to the authorities, alerting them of the coming apocalypse. After her tenth, they believed her. The entire might of the Guernican military waited for their destroyer's arrival. Fearsome battleships hung in the sky, the streets filled with rows of tanks and heavy artillery. After her eleventh wedding, Viola accepted nothing she did would ever make a difference. She'd had 14 weddings for the price of one when it happened. She walked down that now familiar aisle and was met by an unfamiliar face. The elderly clergyman had been replaced by another vicar, a younger man with hair the colour of sunset. He said almost the same things as the older man and, when questioned, denied that there was anyone his senior in this church. No one except God himself. The rest of the proceedings and people were completely unchanged. Yet the priest was different. This single point of difference gave Viola hope. Somehow, something possibly something she'd done along the way, had resulted in this new vicar. She wondered what else she could change, if there was an escape from this cyclical hell for herself and her loved ones. It became her habit to question anyone who might know of advanced alien civilizations or weapons that could swallow worlds. After all, she had a weapon to fire at her enemies, but no real idea who exactly that enemy was. After her subsequent wedding... While honeymooning, she saw a general arrive at the hotel bar. She introduced herself and casually began questioning him. He was keen, a little too keen, Viola thought, to share his tale. Having fought to defend the frontiers of his homeworld's empire from the Galatraxians, this general had returned to his planet to discover that no one remembered that they were at war with Galatrax or anything beyond a few weeks prior. When he questioned the Queen on what had occurred, she informed him that his memory of their history would also fade. Viola ordered him another drink at that. No wonder the man was happy to tell her what happened. He was still fighting for his world to keep its history alive, even if it was only in the memory of strangers. When she asked why this had occurred, the General told Viola what his Queen had told him. Their past had been sold to preserve their future. It was the only option to keep them safe from the greater conflict that tore at the very fabric of reality. It was here Viola learnt of the war between monsters who thought themselves gods. On one side, tank-like creatures fueled by hatred and rage. On the other, an ancient race that conquered time and travelled through their kingdom in vanishing ships. Ships that announced their arrival with wheezing engines. Ships that belonged to the Time Lords. From that moment, 
Viola knew what she had to do. She would hunt these Time Lords, as many of them as it took, until her world was safe. Big Finish presents Doctor Who, Short Trips, Death Will Not Part Us by Alfie Shaw, read by Adele Anderson. In trying to save the lives of his people, the president of Capricorn Six had forfeited his own. He was unaware of this, as were all the other people who had gathered in the press briefing room of Ministry Hall to hear him speak. The only person who knew he was going to die was Viola. Around her, journalists were making notes into their communicators. Viola sat in the back row, idly fiddling with what appeared to be a broken gold wristwatch. The time it gave was wrong. It was out by a couple of hours, and the minute hand went round in seconds. The second hand was imperceptible due to its speed. Viola glanced down at her disguised weapon, feeding it days. As enough time hadn't elapsed to fully load the rifle, she discovered she needed to supplement the difference from her own past. She let the President's impassioned speech drift over her. In perilous times like these, It is vital that we look to those who are best able to defend us, the President implored. With the Dalek threat looming, I am pleased to announce that Capricorn Six has been taken into the protectorate of the Time Lords of Gallifrey. The assembled pool of journalists rippled with delight. Viola fought the urge to shout. Correcting them wouldn't change a thing. She focused on what parts of her life to give up wasn't a difficult choice. There were great swathes of nothing Tuesdays and hungover Sundays she'd happily part with. She concentrated on them until they were gone. The wristwatch became warm to the touch as the expendable days were taken from her. She did this until all three of its hands pointed to twelve. It was ready. She stood up, sweeping her arm toward the president. Her watch expanded into a writhing blob of liquid metal. Extending from her wrist, it solidified into her stolen rifle, the one she had claimed when the Time Lords first destroyed her home. Security guards rushed forward, but they were too late. Ignoring the ensuing panic, she aimed at the President's chest and fired. Fired and chest. President's the at aim she Viola took up the white china mug and sipped her latte. She was back in the Ministry Hall Cafe, discreetly tucked away from the entrance lobby. Around her, civil servants discussed matters of state with colleagues or, for the less disconcerting among them, journalists. She'd been in this cafe many times before to learn where she needed to be to eliminate her target and how to get there. Utilising a connection from her chambers, she'd met Max Devo, a junior press secretary to the president. He was due to meet her in this cafe, their eighth such meeting. 
Viola knew that this time their meeting would be cut short. It might not even happen. Wherever he now stood, the president would be rapidly aging, his body unable to cope with the bullets of abandoned and aborted time. He'd be dead within moments, and no one would ever know how. She smiled to herself and celebrated with another sip of coffee. She pulled out her communicator. The screen lit up to reveal a string of missed messages from Sam. Um, don't panic. No, you loved it, but they don't have the sofa in the blue. Would Red do instead? This was followed by a photo of a hideous candy red sofa. She tapped out a reply. Absolutely not. If they don't have it, try the other place instead. This was followed by another message, a reminder that she loved him deeply. And if Sam wished for that to continue, he should put the bins out. He's not dead, said a stranger who swung into the seat opposite her. He was a handsome man with weathered features. His outfit gave the impression of an eccentric buccaneer. Sorry, said Viola, pocketing her communicator. The president. He's not dead. That's, um, good to know. Thanks. She turned her attention back to her coffee in an attempt to signal the end of the conversation. I just thought you'd be interested, seeing as how you just shot him. Anger and panic shot through Viola. There was only one way he could know that. He was one of them. Sorry, I'm waiting for... She tried, but the stranger interrupted. Mr. Devos, yes, I know. I told him that I'd meet you instead. Hope you don't mind. You don't really have any need for him now, do you? I guess not. Mr... I'm the doctor. The emphasis he placed on the final word suggested that that was the entirety of his title. She surveyed her options. She was too close to run. He could grab her across the table before she got out of her chair. Viola leant back in her chair and began sifting through her life for dispensable time. How did you find me? Every time you fire that gun, it discharges frozen seconds like, like temporal gunshot residue. Fragments of what was and is and could be, all destroyed by the vortex in moments. But if you're as clever as I am, that's all you need to track them to the source. Viola plucked a collection of half-remembered weeks and fed them into the rifle. If she couldn't recall any moments of significance, they were probably okay to lose. The doctor demanded she surrender the rifle. She refused. He tried to reason with her, explaining that what she'd acquired was a weapon from the Order of Never Days that forged their bullets by stealing time from other universes. She half listened, concentrating on reloading. The doctor paused, expecting some reply, or even for her to part with the means to save her world. Why isn't the president dead? she asked. Because having worked out who you intended to kill... I convinced the president to send a robotic duplicate in their place. He was a little too pleased with that. But don't worry, well, it was all she needed to know. She rose and shot the doctor dead. Dead, dead, dead doctor, the shot, then rose. No, to me, the show was it. Full beam had churched them. The church had been full. But now the pews, still adorned by pink roses, were not quite so cramped. Their occupants sat in relative comfort. Viola couldn't bring herself to look at those gaps, knowing who had filled them previously. 
It had taken another run to ensure the president of Capricorn Six had died. More of her past surrendered to secure something more than a month-long future. The gaps in the mosaic were starting to show. Hannah, now Viola's sole childhood friend in attendance, sat next to Charlie and the rest of the university gang. Evangeline, Viola reasoned, was probably fine. The key date that had cemented their friendship had been lost, but since she still survived without those days, Evangeline must as well. She took her place by the altar, the trio of bridesmaids jutting out from her. Olivia, Olivia's girlfriend Rose, and their daughter Sabine. Her parents continued to clutch each other's hands, and Sam once again stood next to the young red-headed vicar. She'd started to lose track of how many times they'd been married, but it didn't matter, not to her. With every repetition, her vows reaffirmed her conviction. I do. I did. I will do so again. The reception was still full of music and mirth. She still laughed at the best man's jokes, even though she had heard them many times before. She asked Hannah about Evangeline, if she could even remember her from their school days. Vaguely, said Hannah. Why, she get in touch or something. Viola brushed it aside. Just a random thought, nothing more. Later that evening, after freeing herself from a protracted conversation with two well-meaning uncles, she locked herself in the toilet and searched for Evangeline online. She was dead. Killed in a transporter crash three months earlier. It was like every part of Viola's body was suddenly made of lead. She struggled to keep her head up. She poured at her tears and tried her best to grieve in silence. It was all her fault. No, it wasn't. It was the Time Lords who, a month from now, would kill everyone she loved. But she was responsible for cutting Evangeline from her life, not thinking, not considering the consequences. She stayed in the cubicle for ten minutes. She wanted to stay longer, but it was inevitable that someone would come for her soon. Her bride couldn't be missing for too long on her wedding day. She squeezed her eyes shut and tried to steady her breathing. Whoever came for her, she didn't want to have to try explaining why she was crying on today of all days. When she opened them again, she caught sight of the date Evangeline died. She stared at it and then began to laugh, quietly at first, but soon building to a delirious, relieved laugh as the weight of the guilt fell away. She'd fix this, save her friend and her world all in one. If she took that date out of existence, then there could be no crash, and Evangeline would live. Making a note of the date in her communicator, she headed back to the reception. Their honeymoon was as perfect as the last. Sam stayed at the resort on Zanzi for two weeks. Viola was there for three. At the end of the first week, the head of the Zanzian military died, and Sam stopped ordering headrest cocktails. The 14th of August arrived, and Viola stood on the steps of Unity Hall. Several hours passed, 
and her world did not die. The Time Lord ship never arrived. She called Sam to pick her up, and when he arrived, she fell into his arms, weeping with relief. She'd won! She held Sam close that night and every night after. She quit her job, filling her days with friends and family. Evangeline repeatedly said she was mad to do it. Every time she did, Viola just hugged her that little bit tighter. They'd been with her parents when it happened again. She and Sam were tag-teaming against her father for his outdated views. Her mother, having endured such rants for years in the other room fetching fresh tea. It was in the midst of a particularly moronic point from her father that the ground started to shake. Viola's mother ran into the room. There's something wrong with the sky! What do you mean, wrong? her father asked. It's cracking up! The sky doesn't crack, Janet, her father sighed. That's not how skies work. I don't care how they're supposed to bleed in works. That's what it's doing. Look! They all hurried to the window, all except for Viola. She didn't look over at them, for she knew what was about to happen. The Sam asked. Are you... The end of his question was lost, as he screamed in unison with her parents. Her world burned once more. Still... Amid this horror, she found comfort in a single thought. Her efforts had given them a little extra time. She was getting closer. Big Finish presents Doctor Who. Short Trips. Death Will Not Part Us by Alfie Shaw. Read by Adele Anderson. There were many deaths and fewer wedding guests. As the guest list to her big day dwindled away, the lifespan of her planet increased. Viola couldn't stop, not now that she knew it was working. Her crusade brought her to the satellite city of Pelathea, where she secreted herself on the 49th floor of the abandoned Richnick's building. From there, she had a clear line of sight to the stage where the mayor would give her final address. By all accounts, she was a good mayor, a shrewd political operator who placed the needs of her people over any personal greed. However, after a series of misadventures with local mafiosos, Viola uncovered the mayor's secret. She was a time lord, a sleeper agent put in place to lead Pelathea into an unfavorable alliance with her kind. Viola waited. The rifle rested in her hands. There were so few days left to give. She'd spent almost all of them clinging to those that were most precious to her. But now she'd have to start sacrificing them as well. Does your husband know what you're doing? Viola jerked her head around to see the doctor standing in the doorway. Or should that be fiancé? He asked, striding into the room. There wasn't enough time to kill him and the mayor. He should be dead, a fact she reminded him of. Yes, he said, his face crumpling at the memory. As you seem hell-bent on shooting any Time Lord who crosses your path, I thought it might be wise to send a go-between in my place. Another robot, since I was making one for the President, seemed like a smart idea to make another, just in case. And now? 
Let's hope you don't have to find out, he said, dragging a chair from the corner. He stopped a few metres away from Viola. It was a large enough gap that neither party could pounce on the other. He leaned back and crossed his arms in an elaborate display of non-aggression. Have they sent you to stop me? No, they'll do that themselves. I'm surprised they haven't caught up with you already. The applause that drifted up from the assembled crowds below signalled the start of the mayor's speech. It was a mere eight minutes long, then the mayor would be whisked away along with the chance to kill her. Viola's gaze drifted between the woman she needed to kill and the man who might try to stop her. Then why are you here? she asked. Because I need you to stop. It's not just your life you're pulling apart. You've removed years from the timeline. Insignificant to you, perhaps, but they could have been the best days of someone else's life or even the entirety of their existence. Viola struggled against the memory of the ever-emptying pews. Her last wedding had been a small affair, but Sam lived, as did her family, and soon her whole world would, too. They've already started disappearing, haven't they? The doctor leaned forward. Please, you have to stop this before you lose everyone. Can you stop them from destroying my world? If I did, then it would be occupied by the Daleks and used as a staging post to kill trillions more. He let out a laboured sigh. None of this should have happened. I visited Guernica in the 64th century. Evelyn and I spent a fortnight taking in the national parks. While the doctor soliloquised, Viola surrendered her graduation day to the rifle, along with the preceding weeks. The hands on the watch face, now embedded in the side of the weapon, crept closer to twelve. What this war has done to your planet is abominable, but it can't change that. Let me take you and your family. I've already changed it, Viola interrupted. I've pushed it back by years. It can and will be stopped. But that's... The doctor broke off in confusion. No, that's not possible. As the doctor pondered, the second, minute and hour hands on the rifle's clock face all stopped at twelve. It was now, or risk having to discard more of her dwindling history to try again. The doctor was midway through inquiring about how she found her targets when Viola began aiming through the rifle scope. The chair scraped as the doctor scrambled to his feet. The mare's chest was in the centre of her crosshairs. The doctor lashed out with his foot as Viola pulled the trigger. The barrel of the rifle swept upward as the shot went wide. Wide went shot the as upward swept rifle the of barrel the... She'd stripped her past bare. All that remained was a narrow thread of tenuous connective tissue linking her birth to meeting Sam to him proposing to their wedding. Everything else had been discarded. Yet, she had pushed the destruction of Guernica back by several years. There were new times to plunder. There would be no need to revisit her wedding day after this. Viola stood in front of the altar, her hands trembling as she looked out at the rows and rows of empty, undecorated pews. Only their parents and the young vicar remained. She tried to recall the people who'd attended, a wash of half-remembered faces and names. It had been full once, she knew that much. For the last time, 
They exchanged vows and sung hymns. The whole affair was a pitiful imitation of what it had been before. As the ceremony came to a close, the church door slammed open. I object to this union, the doctor shouted as he strode down the aisle. Or have I missed that part? Don't suppose it matters, really, seeing as how many times you've already got married. The vicar and Sam exchanged confused glances. Viola's father audibly harumped and stood ready to intercept the gatecrasher. I'm sorry, said the vicar. This is a private ceremony. You're going to have to... Oh, I'm an old friend of the bride, said the doctor, waving away the man's objections. In fact, I imagine I'm the only friend she has left. Viola made to unfurl her concealed weapon, but thought better of it. Enough time hadn't passed. All she had left were the days she dare not part with. Everyone was staring at her. V? Sam prompted. Who is this guy? Yes, Doctor, she answered flatly as the interloper came to a stop in front of her. You've missed that part. And in any case, I don't remember inviting you. At this, Viola's father started to shuffle past her mother. Across the aisle, Sam's father got up to join him in ejecting the doctor from proceedings. My invitation's probably not the only thing that slipped your mind. The doctor retreated from the advancing fathers, his back pressed against the altar. But we can fix this, bring them all back. The fathers were nearly upon him, fists clenched tight in anger. Wait! Viola placed herself between the three men. The fathers took a step back, not returning to their seats in case their services were still required. V, said Sam, what's he talking about? Not now, Sam, please. Why not now, asked the doctor. If you don't like how it goes, you'll just erase all this anyway. Before Viola could complain, he pressed on. You see, Sam, out there right now, there's a war being fought. The worst war that the universe has and probably will ever know. It's going to destroy your world, and if it wasn't for your wife, you'd already be dead. Sam looked to Viola for confirmation. She simply nodded in reply. She found a weapon, something she ought to have never got her hands on, and became a sort of assassin, killing off the people who would lead to the death of your planet. Only it shouldn't have had any effect. She's been striking at random, acting on information she picked up along the way. These deaths shouldn't have bought your world a second more. Yet apparently she's been able to stave off its demise for years. Because it was working, Viola corrected him. No, because you were being rewarded for good behavior. I went digging into the list of your victims, and you know what I found? All those people you killed, they weren't Time Lords at all. They weren't even their allies. Everyone you've assassinated, they were all working for the Daleks. Viola objected to that. She'd been told about the Daleks, which worlds they had conquered and how to avoid them. If she'd been killing their agents, she would have known. You've been fed false information at every step along the way, the doctor continued. If you were really sniffing out Time Lords, then surely you'd have found the one that's been at your wedding. I imagine he's been at most of them. After all... It's quite difficult to have a church wedding without the vicar. Everyone looked at the vicar. From within his robes, he pulled a staser 
brandishing it at the tiny congregation. The parents cried out in shock. Sam's eyes grew wide with panic. No one dared move. He's been guiding you all along, making sure you kept going, said the doctor, unfazed by the not-so-holy man's weapon. What was the plan? Extend Guernica's lifespan right up until the moment the Daleks were meant to arrive. Then, once she'd used all that up as well, swoop in and grab the rifle? The vicar said nothing. Did you mean for her to have it, or was it lost in battle, and you decided to make the best of a bad job? That's classified, the vicar hissed. The latter, then. Opportunity born from bungling. How very Gallifreyan. This world is to be evacuated. There's no need for these people to die. This ends here. Quite so, Doctor. The vicar flashed a serpent smile. You've just brought the usefulness of this asset to a close. He aimed the staser at Viola. Her parents charged forward to protect their child. The doctor and Sam lunged for the staser. It was all too late. The staser went off with a high-pitched whine. The beam of pure white energy slammed into Viola's chest. (coughs) Viola fell to the floor, writhing in pain. She saw the doctor grab at the vicar, but he was easily overpowered. The vicar cast him aside effortlessly. He skidded along the floor, coming to a stop when he collided with the altar. Sam threw his whole body at the vicar, hoping to knock him off balance. The vicar turned in motion with Sam, grabbing him by the tie. With a single twist, he drove Sam to the floor. (coughs) Sam never got up. Her parents screamed in terror and fury with Sam's before they were all silenced. With every ounce of effort she had, Viola unfurled the rifle. Into it, she poured every remaining day she had. The day she met Sam and the day he proposed. The days she couldn't remember, those early few years of life. Even the day she was born. The vicar turned to face her, not even having the decency to be scared. No! the doctor cried, grabbing at the barrel of her gun. But it was too late. She fired. In the absence of time, they shone. They looked like pinpricks of light, flecked across an obsidian chasm of nothing. In each you would find the days most important to Viola Wintersmith. Her birth, the meeting of her love, and their wedding day. But they showed not just what was, but also what should have been. From a universe untroubled by the ravages of the Daleks and the Time Lords. From the universe before the Time War. Big Finish presents Doctor Who, Short Trips, Death Will Not Part Us by Alfie Shaw, read by Adele Anderson. The Doctor woke. He was lying on the floor of his TARDIS, Viola's rifle grasped in his outstretched hand. 
There was no sign of its previous owner. She'd erased every moment of her life. Pulling himself to his feet, he made his way to the console. With the flick of a switch, the ceiling faded away, revealing the expanse of nothing that lay outside the safety of his ship. At the farthest points, equidistant from the TARDIS, were two mawing gashes. These tears, loose ends of the time vortex, pushed into the emptiness, consuming and compressing the nothing into ordered reality. With the time-stealing rifle removed from time, it was finally able to heal itself. The tears drove toward each other, needing to be whole. Soon, the timeline would reassert itself and Guernica would die again, as it now always should. The doctor focused on the fragments of spent days that had been ejected when the rifle fired. They were soon to be erased as the vortex washed over them. He piloted the TARDIS over to where they were. The controls were stiff and alarms began to bleep in protest. His ship wasn't designed to travel through expanses without time. Opening the doors, he stood on the precipice and examined the glistening, still moments. He picked one, untainted by the influence of the war, of when Viola was being born. He held the rifle against it. The instant of time faded, and the second hand on the rifle moved forward with a single tick. There was nothing he could do for them now. Not while the war continued, devouring time and universes in its wake. He closed the doors and rested the rifle against the console. There was a chance, a tiny, borderline, negligible chance that once the war was over and he was still alive, he'd be able to help them. The rifle would have to be modified, of course, to not compress time, rather to store it. But there would be time for that when the fighting stopped. The doctor slumped against the console, waiting for time to rebuild and to be thrust back into hell. In the void, where universes begin and return to when they die, a Tuesday appeared. Monday and Wednesday then winked into being. The three days came together and gave birth to Thursday and Sunday. Not wishing to be forgotten, or worse, replaced by some upstart new day, Friday and Saturday realized themselves. This week gave birth to another, then two more. Months created years, and on it went, fashioning past and future, until it had both beginning and end. It wasn't how universes were meant to be born, but anyone who could notice or object was dead. The time war was over and everyone had lost. One man had lost more than most. His people, his name, his very soul. He'd sacrificed them all to the war. While there was nothing he could do to revive his home, he'd reclaimed his title. He wasn't sure if his soul would ever be cleansed of what he'd done. Still, he was going to try. On a now inconsequential Wednesday, the doctor sat on the steps outside Unity Hall, watching a recently married couple meet for lunch. They hugged and kissed, agreeing that neither of them minded where they ate. He watched the Wintersmiths saunter away together. They'd never know of the other Guernica, 
the one that his people aged out of existence, the one where Viola Wintersmith stood on the steps of Unity Hall and crumbled to dust like everyone else, the one the doctor couldn't save. The doctor waited, in case there was a chance he'd miscalculated and the time war had bled into the moment of time he'd chosen. He wasn't certain how he'd feel if the battle TARDIS materialised overhead and began trying to destroy the world anew. He'd saved all these people in a fashion, and perhaps he'd accidentally saved its should-be destroyer as well. He knew all too well the horrors it would bring with it. Yet, to see another Time Lord after what he'd been forced to do, he couldn't deny the appeal. But no. There was no familiar grinding of engines in the sky. The war was over. The Time Lords were dead. Guernica was safe, and the Wintersmiths lived once more. <laughs>